2: Dee, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wagner. Front and center this hour the risk reward for stocks. Has it gotten better or not this week? We'll discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Got a full deck today joining us here at the table. Steve Weiss, Shannon Sakosha, Jim Labenthal, Joe Terranova. Also with us on set today is BMO's Brian Belsky. Let's check the markets. We're just past 12 noon in the east. and been trying to get something going since the get-go today. And uh, right now we're almost flat across the board. Dow's positive. You can see what's in front of you here. S&P, NASDAQ are fractionally negative. 347, the yield on the 10-year note. But I want to start. Shannon, with you, and the question I asked at the top, risk-reward for stocks, has it improved this week?
0: So... I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think what we're looking at is that we have a, a kind of a show me environment, if you will, this quarter for um, for investors who are really looking at earnings to determine whether they're going to be as bad as expected, or if they're going to indicate that the transmission of the Fed rate hikes in through the economy is is likely to subside over the course of the next couple of quarters, or if they do believe that we are headed for a recession. And you heard it at the banks this morning. Um, there is clearly being priced in the potential for not only a shallow recession, but, you know, perhaps a more moderate recession by by some of these banks. And so I think one of the challenges is, is that the Earnings expectations have come came down a lot in the fourth quarter, both for the for the fourth quarter, but as well for uh, calendar year 2023. And how bad that is, is really where you're trying to determine if the market is appropriately priced. Now, that's not to say, Scott, though, that we don't have some opportunity here. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you're looking at like just kind of anchoring to the CPI print, anchoring to some of the jobs data, um, for me, that's going to be offset over the next couple of weeks as it relates to earnings.
2: Okay, Uh, Pharma Jim. Inflation down again, riot and co- economy holding tough, labor market strong, Fed close to the end, we think what some are calling goldilocks. That's yeah. a word you've heard this week. Michael Hartnett, Bank of America flow show. The big picture, he says, minus 0.1 CPI, 205,000 unemployment claims, don't get more goldilocks than that, he says. Consensus now 50 basis point hikes for the first half this year, next two meetings 25 and 25, then 200 basis points of cuts over the next 18 months. S&P 500 range 3.6 to 4.2k. Most are positioned for 3.6 before the 4.2k. Pain trade is up until the Fed rate forecasts. Has yeah, the risk-reward improved this week? I, I think it definitely has. Um,
1: and, you know, the one part I disagree with that is about the need for cuts. I think all we've done now over the past year is normalize interest rates. For interest rates to be at, let's put let's pick the 10-year, uh, 35 to 4.5% is not a punitive rate. I mean, we've been through many decades where the economy has done just fine at that level or above. Um, but I think Shannon said something remarkably on target or just well phrased that we're in a show-me stage. And, and it reminds me of when you look at a single stock that's turning around, I'll go to one of my favorites, Scott, Boeing, right? Boeing had a number of things go right this summer, but it wasn't until enough of them had gone right that the market started to believe. And then it took off, no pun intended. I think that's exactly where we are with the market. The odds of the soft landing have gone up over the past week with the better than expected average hourly hourly earnings report last Friday and then the CPI and labor reports. Um, But the market is still not ready to commit to it. It will over time if the data continues to support that inflation is coming in better than expected, which the data does, and that the labor market is retaining its strength.
2: Okay, so we're going to go around the table here. Shannon says not really on risk reward improving this week. Jim says absolutely yes. Steve Weiss, I want to know what you think playing off of that. I'm a little nervous that you're here today. It's Friday the 13th. You're here. I mean, that's a good sign in some respects that you're actually sitting here. Well, thank you, Scott.
3: And first of all, on 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 behalf of Medical Science, I'd like to thank Jim for proving that a long-term course of hallucinogens, you could still function as an adult.
2: So you don't think it's
3: improved this no, week? No, I don't. I don't. Um, I, I think it's actually worsened. This week? Um, How is it worse? Yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's worsened because you continue to have this optimistic dialogue that the worst is behind us, that the Fed's done. I'll just look well, they're at
2: closer to the end than the
3: beginning. They are close to the end, but the impact is not close to the end than the beginning. And that's what I'm focused on, what the eventual impact is of the massive tightening cycle. Jim is right. Three to five percent has historically been a neutral rate for the Fed, right? Above restrictive, below accommodative. Mm-hmm. So we're in the neutral area. But you've got to mark to mark from where we came from. So. Well, I'd say the inflation numbers came in and I actually bought on the decline immediately when those numbers got reported because the market tends to find these optimistic points to focus on and ignores the total landscape. So if you look at what Neil Kashkari said yesterday, he said, you know, I'll paraphrase, you know, (laughs) I've been around Wall Street enough is what he said. He said, you're welcome to focus on these data points But if you're playing chicken with the Fed, I'm betting on the Fed every time. Well, he's talking about
2: he's talking about the bond market playing chicken with the Fed because people think the bond market is leading the the way here. His suggestion was that we're going to we're going to win. Right. Exactly.
3: Right, and that means to me that you can't divorce that from them winning also on the economy and on jobs and costs. So I don't think we've experienced pain. So I don't think the risk reward, in my mind, has really changed this week. Uh, So there's a still false sense of bravado that hey, we bottomed, we're going higher, start buying, and you could do that if you're looking at five years uh, or three years, but I think you get a much better opportunity. Joe, it's remarkable because. I look at the market from the perspective of how is everyone
4: positioned. And I think that's the most important thing. And I think you have to agree that positioning was leaning towards highly defensive cast positioning. Pessimism was overwhelming. And now we're beginning to wash some of that away. There is a clear, as I've told you thousands of times, there's a hard landing in risk assets built upon extreme pessimism. And where you are at this moment, can that carry forward further? Yeah, it can. It can. You could see through the earnings season further upside just based on positioning. Nothing at all to do with fundamentals. The bond market is confirming that, and the VIX is confirming that as well. The VIX at 18 is not complacency. The VIX is telling you something about the overall environment. So I disagree. I think the bond market's right. I think the Federal Reserve, they have lost control of this normalization process. And I think that from the standpoint of you're sitting on the sidelines and you're saying, should I invest? Should I not invest? That's not the question. Now the question to your point is, how do you invest?
2: So Jim makes the argument that it is fundamental, that the better feeling, the pendulum has swung over to his side this week, so to speak, right? From the Weiss side to the Labenthal side, based in part on improving fundamentals.
1: I can, can, I, can I just really quickly, Atlanta I Fed talk. GDP now? I he love asked you.
4: me the question. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. So, I, you know, in 2021, did fundamentals telegraph where risk assets were gonna go in 2022? No, they didn't. So sometimes the economy is not the stock market. And I think in 2023, you could be faced with an environment where you're reading what the economy looks like and it's not reflective of how you should be investing. So this hard or soft landing thing, Jimmy and I are gonna end up in the same place in what we're gonna say. Cause I'm gonna say you need to invest in the market. But if you're solely basing your investment principle on it's going to be a soft landing, well, guess what? Then go out and buy all the hyper growth stocks that got obliterated in 2022, because that's exactly what you should be doing. If you're correlating an economic outcome with which assets to buy, I
1: I will just I will just pile on to I agreed with everything except the very last part. Because I think there's something else going on here, which is the transition, it's very obvious, in the market from growth to value. It seems very
4: obvious to Why me. can't you have both?
1: I'm not saying you can't. I'm not saying you can't. You're but I'm about to. You're get, no, I'm saying you're going to get better returns in value than growth. And there's a lot of reasons why. It's not just the multiple differential, which is significant. It's also that's where the earnings growth is going to be higher based on what's going on in the economy right now. But, Otherwise, totally
3: agree. But let me, let me just focus on one point you said, okay. you know, that the Fed has lost control. In fact, that may be true, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter because as long as they remain in control of the economy, which they are through interest rates, it doesn't you can make the bet all you want that the Fed's got it wrong. Okay, but if Fed actions are going to continue and if the impact of Fed actions that you're assuming
2: that Fed actions are going to continue. Well, I'm not. No, You're you're believing what they're saying. You're believing the Kashkaris of the world, which, you know, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Their, their mouthpiece mechanism works for a reason, right? Their jawboning effect is what it is because the markets are supposed not to listen to what more. they say. Joe's point is that forget about what they say at this point. Pay attention now to really what they do. But and I'm maybe what's attention. come out this week, for example, is they're not going to do what we once thought but they might. But go back to
3: my original point, okay? It takes 6 to 18 months, particularly coming off where we were, such a low base, Okay, for the tightening or for an easing cycle to really work through. Okay, we haven't spent that time yet. So you could focus on a Fed pivot, may happen, but ultimately earnings are going to come down and the market's overvalued.
2: So how would you address this issue, Brian Belsky? Thank you for being here. It's nice to see you in person on our set. Your base case is 4,300. That's your base case. Your bull case is 48, which is like, you know. You're on the black diamond, double black diamond, <laughs> looking down over your skis a little bit on that. Ships up. So how do you get to that? Well. You think
5: it's improved risk reward this week? I, I really do. I'm with Jim. That not, should not be a shock. Uh, but I think the key thing here is this term normalization. We talked about normalization of the bond market. But we haven't really at this table here talked much about normalization in terms of equity performance and earnings growth and valuation, I think that's where we're going. I think it's kind of back to old school, old time hockey, back to the 80s and 90s. And and part of our forecast would be kind of high single digit returns for the next three to five years, single digit earnings growth, three to four percent, 10 year treasury. That's a pretty good environment. Um, Value stocks over growth. Small and mid, we made the call. It's the first time uh, in 11 years that I've been overweight, small, mid versus large, because of the cash flow and the balance sheet strength of those areas, Scott. But the earnings really is the key. And you and I bantered back and forth for several months now that the earnings period was not going to be as bad as everybody thinks. Um, I think earnings for the fourth quarter will probably come in flat. Right now they're four, down 4% or something like that. I think they've, they've done a really good job cutting numbers. I think what's going to end up happening is a lot of the weakness that even we thought was going to occur the first half of the year got pulled forward into December. And I actually, everybody in their mother, brother, sister, cousin, uncle that does what we do in terms of uh, strategy says weak first half, a bottom in May, uh, June. That means, to me, that means it's going to happen faster.
2: The idea that earnings may not be as bad this quarter and they weren't as bad as people thought in the third quarter, so there's no reason to believe they're gonna be horrible in the fourth quarter, is it's a fake tell. That's what Weiss would tell you because it's all about what's coming. And don't be confused by strength in the third quarter or strength in the fourth quarter because all that the Fed has done and will still do through not only their rate hikes, but their quantitative tightening, et cetera, and these effects that are taking place in the economy haven't seen the bulk of job losses yet by any stretch. It's all going to come to roost. It just hasn't yet.
5: Well, I think let's let's take.
2: For Isn't t- that the base case? That's the base case, I think. So you agree that's the base case?
5: I think that's the base case because um, we haven't seen the big drop off in employment. And that that would be the one thing that would scare me if we actually do see a higher um, spike in, in unemployment. But. Going back to what you said, right, you need to take two steps back. Today's um, comments with respect to the banks are very important because the banks have not had an opportunity to do what they usually do, under-promise and over-deliver. And, and I think what you've seen and heard so far from, from J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, they set themselves up to do that. And I think that sets the tone for the entire rest of the market. Now, tech stocks clearly... Got crushed. Multiples have come down, but the big cash flow generators, I think, are going to have better earnings as well. So I think, you know, I think we're somewhere on this table here. I think I'm probably somewhere between Jim and Shannon in terms of of near term. Longer term, obviously, we're very bullish. But I think the market actually will see a low before
2: May June. Weiss,
3: Um, look,
2: (laughs) did I characterize your, your 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 view right? Right. It's about. It's not the false. The thinking earnings yeah. are great or good enough is kind of a false tell, perhaps. Yeah. It's about no. what is yet to come, right? right. What and, the companies and, are telling you might happen in yeah,
3: months ahead. Yeah, and, and I think you have to step back and say, okay, here's what they reported. It wouldn't be a surprise if results are better than expected, right, because managements have gotten pretty smart, you know, and they say we're going to guide lower, and so we're going to underpromise and overdeliver. So most do that except for some perennial companies like your favorite Boeing, you know, that's what they do. So I have a quick question for you, though. Have has the has the mechanism disconnected?
5: Meaning, are stocks no longer discounting what's coming? Uh, they're no, not not forward looking anymore. Does that does that rule not around anymore? Because don't stocks lead earnings, which lead the economy? Well,
3: so for, that doesn't work for, anymore. First of all, uh, the answer overall is. It works, but not as well as it used to because you have so many different forces in the market. So, for example, 60-40 portfolios or algo portfolios, right, or uh, passive investing. So when the bond market's trading down, you'll see that, um, you know, that you've got the inverse correlation, right? So people will buy equities, right? So you've got so much of that going on, you can't say it's a tell and focus on a particular moment in time. And I tend to be bottoms up, not looking for tea leaves like everybody's saying this, so that's consensus, so I'm right. going there. Or we've got this as support, the 200-day, if we break it, then I'm selling it. But if we hold it, I'm buying it. All I do is look at fundamentals, and I talk to CEOs, and I talk to people in the channel, and guess what? It's still weakening. Okay? Right, Brian so I don't go so for that.
1: Brian and I are having the same reaction here, because I talk to CEOs all day long, and I'm telling you, that's not what they're saying. well I mean, they are saying if you're, a home they CEO, definitely are. if you're a home builder CEO, you're saying it. Yes, if you're Mark Zuckerberg, you got some work to do. Yeah. But in a large swath of the economy, if you talk to Ed Bastian, if you talk to CEO of Wind Resorts, I mean, I could... Let me, me respond to
3: that, okay? You're talking to CEOs that are in the public market, Okay. Right? I'm talking to a lot of CEOs who so spend a lot of my time in the private market, which is how I was able to make the call on cloud slowing, because they're not, they're not married to the party line that their attorneys are telling them, right, say, you can't disseminate to Jim what you haven't put out broadly. So it really doesn't do much good to talk to public market I'll tell you what, let, me, let me say this. Let me, to Even helpful, though I do, because be you read between one lines. One thing very
1: seriously that you've said again and again is we don't know what the E is. When any of us start talking about multiples, right. you say we don't know what the E is. And I will grant you that. But I will tell you that the data is coming in, particularly about the labor market and how strong it is, would lead one to conclude. But that's that de- not a positive. Let me finish. That, de- that demand is hanging in there because consumers have, they have jobs. And that would indicate that the E might actually be higher. Let me, than let me ask it's you this question. Can I just ask you this and question? Then Let's Shannon, just and then I want okay, to Okay, let me involved, ask you. What's the PE in the market right now? What part of the
3: market? the S and P. What's the PE in the S and P?
1: Equal weight or market cap weight? This
3: is the, important. Give me either one. Fifteen for the equal weight. Okay, and what's the historical PE? Or just the, get to where you're going. My here's where I'm going. That in a contracting economy, we are contracting. No, right? we are not. Okay, so we're I'll, not. So, I'll, so GDP is right. at 4.1 okay, percent for the Atlanta okay, Fed okay. GDP. That is expansion. 26 states are in recession. That's fact. The, okay, the That's U.S. Fact. GDP hold is on, projected to grow at
1: 4.1 percent through two weeks ago. You think it contracted over Jim, the last two weeks?
3: Jim, we'll dial back a little. You'd say, cowboy, take it easy a little bit. Let me talk. Okay. The, the 26 You've states are doing a
2: lot of talking. So 26
3: states are Shannon's in waiting. recession. OK, if the markets if the economy is not contracting, then the Fed's going to double down. The economy is slowing. That's stupid. Okay?
1: That's stupid. If inflation's coming down, why are they going to raise rates? They have another mandate, which is maximum employment. Let's hear from Shannon, please.
0: So can we, I want to touch back on something that that the two of you were talking about in growth versus value since we have Brian here. um, And I know that there are certain sectors in the growth space that you actually like going into 2023. Um, Is... Is the idea that there should be a premium multiple for companies that can engineer their own growth absent a secular tailwind, is that dead? Because that that to me is where in the second half of the year you go out and you buy companies that if they can't improve their margins because rates are still going to be high and costs are still going to be high, don't you want to eventually own growth stocks even if they're still like at a premium multiple, I think you do, and so I would love to hear how you how you think that transition happens because I know Jim and I feel differently about you know the growth versus value you know kind of um, narrative continuing over the next year
5: I think the what you want to take a look at for your question would be cash flow cash flow cash flow right that's number one number two it's not a binary call, meaning all value, no growth, I think you have to own the intersection of attractively valued growth stocks and opportunistic growth within value okay so what does that mean it means garp okay that's why small cap and mid cap looks so great and no other time in my career have i seen cash flow and balance sheet strength in the small mid cap universe i don't know what private companies you're talking about but i've talking to but i've been all over the country in 2022 and our private companies that we talked to from the BMO commercial bank They are bullish. I mean, very bullish. And that's what helped me actually become even more bullish on the public sector of small mid cap stocks, because we talk about the consumer being really strong and and driving the economy. But guess what
2: drives the economy in this country? Small mid cap companies. The, The move in the to your point, Wolf Research is out today talking about this strength in small and mid caps being a, their words, potential win for the bulls. They're encouraged, the bulls are, they say, by the Russell accelerating through descending resistance. I mean, you could, conventional wisdom would tell you, well, why would you wanna own small caps if you think the economy is weakening? But how would you counter that argument as to why they look pretty good right now? Well, first off,
5: um, last year they got crushed, right? And from a valuation perspective, and you think about not owning long duration assets, they took on a lot of water. But from a fundamental perspective, when you take a look at operating uh, metrics and cash flow and earnings, they're set up like I've never seen before. Plus, in the index itself, you have later stage companies that are not these go-go small cap stocks that some of us maybe grew up in the business in the 80s and 90s thinking about. They're much more uh, mature. A lot of them are paying dividends. And so we're really encouraged that the small mid-cap space is telling you that we're not going to go into a big recession and not have, uh, not have a hard one. Well,
0: those zero profitability stocks aren't public anymore. Those, they used to go public much earlier. Correct. So now they're all in the private space, and so that's, that's the difference in that universe that makes right. it much
2: more investable. Okay, we're going to squeeze in a break. Belsky, you're going to stick around. Jeremy Siegel's waiting in the wings. The Wharton professor is going to give us his view on whether things are better this week for investors or not his outlook for the next, I don't know, let's say handful of weeks. We'll take it in stages. Dr. Siegel's
4: next.
2: All right, welcome back. We're going to head to Kayla Tausche, who you see right there at the White House. We do have breaking news on the debt limit. Kayla, what do we know?
7: Well, Scott, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen just wrote a letter to leaders in Congress saying that beginning next Thursday, January 19th, the United States will be reaching its statutory debt limit of just more than $31 trillion, at which point it will have to start taking what it calls extraordinary measures to conserve capital at the federal governmental level uh, to avoid a default on debt. To do that, Treasury is going to be withholding some investments from retirement funds for postal service workers as well, well as other federal government employees. And Secretary Yellen says that uh, as soon as any such deal on the debt ceiling is reached, that those investment accounts will be made whole. A senior administration official tells me that the White House believes that negotiations on a potential debt ceiling deal would begin in earnest after the tax season deadline in mid-April, at which point Treasury will know exactly what tax receipts have come in, what revenue looks like, and exactly how much time will be left on the clock at which point they'll be able to begin negotiations with Republicans in Congress about exactly how a deal could come together. Secretary Yellen says that uh, the U.S. will be able to maintain these extraordinary measures until about early June. We'll see how that goalpost moves in the coming months. Scott.
2: Hey, Kayla, thank you. Yet uh, another thing for the markets to pay attention to and perhaps worry about. That's Kayla Tausche. All right. Let's bring in now the professor, Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School. It's good to see you, professor. What a week we've had. I'll pose the same question to you as I posed to our group to start our show. Risk, reward. Has it gotten better this week for investors?
6: Yeah, I think it's gotten better. And I'll tell you why. Uh, Even though they, you know, the inflation numbers all hit exactly as expected, uh, when you looked at the details you, you saw, and you know, Scott, because I've been talking to you about this issue for so long, the overinflated housing data, uh, because of the lag way they compute the prices, was was put in as plus 0.8%. And when you look at all the rental price indexes, Zillow, apartment list, you look at case shower indexes of housing, a federal index of housing, they're actually going down at 0.5, 0.6. So actually, not not only did you have actual inflation down and it should have been lower, but when I put the actual housing data into the uh, the numbers we got uh, yesterday, I actually get negative core inflation now. Uh, and I think the Fed is at some time going to be forced to realize that we've really solved the inflation problem. And I think that's one reason the market has, has, has rallied. And um, I think that, uh, you know, they're not going to stay anywhere near as tight as, as they claimed. So the bond market is right. When Kashkari says, you know, the bond market's
2: playing chicken with the Fed, and that's crazy because the Fed's going to win.
6: You don't believe that? no, i don't I don't believe I think through history, the 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 Fed caves to the to the ten year. The tenure doesn't cave to the Fed. Um, you know, uh, the the market knows better than the Fed what is actually going to happen. They say inflation is slowing down and and likely the economy is going to be slowing down. Um, I still think there's a chance to avoid a recession if they if they pivot. I hope I, it looks like twenty five basis points feb one. Uh, that should be the last one, actually, the one that we had in uh, uh, December should have been the last one. But I'm not going to quibble about 25 basis points. Um, inflation on a forward-looking basis is very low. And and as I said, I think that uh, um, Powell's over-concern about wages, which have not caught up to inflation over the last two and a half years since COVID strike, uh, struck, um, is first of all, uh, uh, and saying we're going to force those down is unfair to the workers, and 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 not something that the Fed should be looking at right now. Yeah, but I what, mean, if there's a structural, yeah. What What do you say though
2: to you know people who are negative on the market, like Steve Weiss, who's sitting on our desk today, who says bulls like you are ignoring the obvious, and mm-hmm. on top of that, not paying attention to the very history in which you have studied. For, for decades and that what the Fed has already done is going to take a toll. We just haven't seen it yet.
6: Yeah, I mean, so he's predicting a recession, a bad recession coming up? Well, is he's that predicting
2: it? that earnings are going to take a, a big drop lower and that stocks are going to follow, that Fed, the, the tightening that the Fed has already done, and you pile quantitative tightening on top of that. Don't
6: be fooled by a strong economy now. It's not going to be the same tomorrow. Uh, you know, already to you know, earnings already this year are not above last year on a year-to-year basis. I think we're just about flat. Normally, you know, when you talk about you know, recession year, you're, you're off of a boom year of 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 actual earnings. Um, we we haven't had a boom year of earnings this particular year, and and so I yeah maybe so uh, I don't know what he expects earnings basically to be. Uh, you know, look okay, if they go down to two hundred dollars uh, on the S and P five hundred. My studies have shown that the right P E ratio for a recession level of earnings. Now, this isn't a normal level of earnings. Uh, is actually uh, twenty to twenty two or even twenty four, not not 16, 17, or eighteen. Uh, that's for a normal level of earnings. So yes, if we have a risk rec- if, if the worst case scenario goes and you have a recession for a year or two, and for two years you have depressed earnings, uh, and then it jumps all the way back, Uh, you know, I think the market's already positioned
3: for that. Can I I just say two things? Yeah, here's
6: Steve Weiss
2: himself wants to get in.
3: I mean, what you're talking about 22 times is on trough earnings in a recession, and that's when the multiple expands, Right. And so Brian said, hey, when we were on the show one time before, hey, you make a mistake. You buy companies, industrials, when the multiples high. And that's partially correct. You buy them when the multiples high after they've troth. My view is they haven't troth. I bet if you did a study, because I've done some studies, and I'll defer to you. You're the expert. I'm not. I'm a pedestrian and in awe of the work you've done. But you also have to do the study as to what when not the actual earnings, but when guidance was given and what the multiple was then, and then take that through and see what happened to the market post that, I bet it would be a different result. So we can all pick moment in times. And again, utmost respect for you not suggesting you're doing this, but we're not at trough earnings of a recession yet. And that's why you can't go by that multiple. Professor? Yeah. Well, I mean... We're not
6: at trough earnings. I, mean, you know, so the the estimate is what two thirty five for this particular year. Do you think they'll go down to two hundred? I'm 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 base trying case. to put that 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 is at a worst case scenario. Um, that's his base that's case. case. No, that,
3: I'm sorry. That, that's my average case. I don't have a worst case scenario. I think two hundred. Uh, okay, right
6: so that's are pessimistic. So yes. you know what what PE historically. Has the market the S and P? I'm not talking about you've looked at individual companies, and I think that's important. But has the market put on recession level earnings? And the answer is that uh, oftentimes it's it's too low, and that's why the market often jumps so much once the earnings begin to turn around. But uh, it's much higher than the historical average. I mean, if you if you put what if you put um, uh, 20 PE on 200, you get 4,000. I guess that's where we are now. That would be flat. I, I actually say on a recession level, earnings, you actually should be higher. And I'm not sure yet we're going to have a recession. Um, I'm, I'm just maybe hoping against hope. I know the Fed, I've been the biggest critic of the Fed messing up and not raising rates 2021, 2022. And I think their that plot is ridiculously high going into it. But I still believe that there's more and more talk that the actual inflation data is coming down and coming down quickly. Look at uh, today's uh, 10 o'clock number on one year inflationary expectations, almost a two year low. That's something that uh, has been cited by Powell and others in terms of uh, setting policy.
2: The other thing you said that uh, that I think is a little controversial, uh, which I think I heard you say when I asked you one of the questions that I did was that a recession of a year, a year and a half is is priced in to the market. So you think that that the stock market has priced in a recession of that degree? I don't I don't know that that would be viewed as a, quote, unquote, shallow recession if it lasted for a year or longer.
6: Well, I was thinking more in terms of, uh, you know, it, it, it. it tells you what what is earnings actually going to be. I mean, if if you if you uh, and and perhaps I did overstate it uh, quite a bit. I mean, a really severe recession lasted a year and a year and a half, but I, I don't see that, you know, in in any of the data, um, you know, unless we think there's such a delayed effect that uh, you know that that the Fed is going to stay way too high and then they can't turn it around at all and we're going to lower the discount rate, you know, I came on, I I am so out of uh, consensus by saying that the Fed is going to have to lower the discount rate to a two-handle by the end of this year, Uh because they're going to see the economy slipping, and they're going to see inflation way down. And you know what? When stocks see a two-handle on the Fed funds, you know what? Even, Even a big dip in earnings, uh, will not look so bad in terms of what values will actually be. It's the if we take a look at the bear market we had this year, it was caused by the sharpest increase in real interest rates that we've really experienced since you know Volker put on the clamps in 1979 in a much more serious situation than we are in I today.
2: Got, I gotta go, but do do you think we're really are we on the cusp of a
6: new bull market? I think we are. I think we are because I think that everyone says first half is going to be bad and maybe it's going to be better the second half. And Scott, what does history show? When everyone's on one side, they're usually wrong. All right. Not afraid to be out of consensus. Somewhat proud of it, I think. I can,
2: judging your demeanor. (laughs) Professor, uh, we'll talk to you soon. You stay well. Thank you very much, Scott. All right. That's, That's Jeremy Siegel, of course, of the Wharton School. Uh, We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Delta shares, they're dropping on the back of earnings. Farmer Jim owns that. He made it his final trade just yesterday. Find out what he views from the cockpit on that today. We're back in just two minutes.
0: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently.
2: We're back. We mentioned Delta. There it is, down 4%. Uh, It's one of the worst stocks in the S&P. That's on the back of earnings, uh, which did beat higher labor costs, though. Maybe one of the issues here. What's what's your take on what was just your final trade literally yesterday?
1: Do you want to repeat that? I'd like them to. Okay, carrying on. Uh, Look, there's nothing wrong with Delta here. They did rework a pilot's contract uh, over the fourth quarter, and that's showing up in the first quarter. Here's where you worry about Delta or any other airline stock. It's if, very seriously, if you believe Steve's right, and some people do, you do not own Delta or Alaska Airlines. That leads to people not flying and airplanes piling up in the Mojave Desert. So so
2: you're saying if, if you believe there's a recession coming, don't own airline stocks.
1: Yeah, that's kind of like the first page of Just investment binary. One. That that is binary. I mean that is that is binary, okay? If however, you believe as I and others do that maybe the recession is not inevitable and that the, co- the economy will continue to expand, then what you've got is a stock that's trading below seven times earnings with excellent demand as spoken to by the CEO again, Mr. Bastian again today.
2: Okay. Another stock, one of the best in the Dow today. United Health on the back of earnings. Stocks up. I'm looking one and a quarter percent. Joe, you first.
4: Well, they one were they, the expectations were for flu, COVID and respiratory viruses to really be a drag on costs and that's not the reality of what happened here in Q4. So it allowed not only United Health but all of managed healthcare to offer uh, a degree of relief in these earnings, uh, surprisingly I would say because I think we all expected to see that costs were going to rise. They did not. Shan
0: same yeah. stock
2: for you. What you've been trimming.
0: We have. It's been a great stock. We've been trimming it. I mean, I think one of the other things that we expected was really thought that there there would be a surge sort of in procedures in 2021 um, or 2022, excuse me. And we really haven't seen that. So if that ends up being kind of a slower process, um, that's going to be great from a quarter over quarter earnings perspective.
2: Okay. Now, the other issue we have to discuss here related to stocks that have ownership on the desk is Goldman downgrading defense stocks, which has been a, a strong area in the market. I think everybody, for the most part, knows that by now. Northrop Lockheed, cut to sell. Raytheon to neutral. All right, Joe, you got Lockheed in the Joe T. I do. Um, Kramer's words today. You have to, I'm quoting here from what he said on Squawk on the Street, you have to let the stocks come
4: down. There's a lot of hot money in these names. I think you have to be selective in the space. You've got to pick your winner. Um, Lockheed, I view as better uh, in terms of technicals and fundamentals than Northrop Grumman.
2: Jimmy, Raytheon,
1: yeah, I'm still bullish on it. I think the, the poll that's been cast over that sector over the last couple of weeks is what went on with Mr. McCarthy and the H- House leadership. The idea that he conceded there may be defense cuts coming up, I don't think that that is likely to pass Congress, not in the geopolitical world that we're in. It's not just the U.S. Defense budgets are increasing across the world. Just look at Japan yesterday,
5: uh, buying hundreds of Tomahawk missiles. Belsky, you like aerospace and defense? Yeah, I mean, we own both stocks. We own Northrop and our value portfolio and Lockheed Martin, across several different portfolios. It's a 25 years of amazing cash flow increases and dividend increases. It's a, it's a marvelous company.
2: Okay, we'll take another break. Coming up, the Investment Committee's latest moves. Weiss has a bunch. Uh, I saw Joe has a new one too, uh, or something that he's already had, but uh, he bought more of it. I'll tell you what it is next. All right, welcome back. We're back. Weiss, you good? We're back. Uh, Yes. All right. Let's do some of the committee's moves. Uh, Speaking of you, Weiss, you sold Microsoft. Remember, we talked about when you bought these stocks recently, I think earlier this week, as a matter of fact, um, that it was very tactical. Correct. uh, Likely. So you sold Microsoft. You sold most of the queues. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes. You trimmed Lulu. Mm hmm. Give me what's up with that.
3: So basically, when I went into, him, which was the end of last week to Monday, I just said, you know what? The market, because that we had Powell's testimony out of the way, that the market will rally into the inflation numbers. And in fact, that's what it did. But I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to make my money, hopefully, and then get out. I won't overstay my welcome. As it turned out, I did overstay my welcome a little bit. But... I got out of Microsoft because purely a play, I see that business slowing, cloud slowing, et cetera. But you, I mean, you
2: saw that when you bought it.
3: I did, I did, but the market, as I said when I bought, the market focuses on a single data point to the exclusion of all the negative data points and drives the market higher. So we saw that. The Q's I actually bought yesterday on the, before the market opened because the market traded down on what I thought the market should have taken in line with that thesis is very positive, right? I picked out one data point where inflation is coming down and wages. So then I put stops in for those. I got stopped out. I got stopped out of VOO, by the way, you know, earlier in the week. And I sent a note to Patty, our cracker producer. So I got out. I sold most my, I sold half my Lulu, right? Okay. Which I bought when that, that's a completely different trade.
2: And you also have some Moderna
3: options. Yeah.
2: Can so, you just explain it briefly? Because I feel like very, you talk about it a lot. Right. So whenever you have anything regarding Moderna, I want our viewers to know So I
3: added it. to the position both through calls, cheap calls on the upside. If they weren't cheap, I wouldn't have. And bought puts for the downside. Of course, RSV data is going to come out momentarily. The company has bought a voucher, believing they're going to have positive results, which allows them to fast-track approval with the FDA. You can buy those vouchers. Okay. So, look, they've got $25 billion cash. The voucher costs nothing relative to that. But think of where they're putting reputation on line saying, we're so sure this day is going to be good, we're buying this voucher.
2: All right. Joey, you're still playing gold. Absolutely. Right, you added to the GLD? I
4: did. Added to the GLD yesterday from a technical perspective. It is clearly breaking out from a fundamental perspective. You always have to think about risk assets in terms of the competition environment. Inflation comes down. Gold loses the competition with other interest rate-friendly asset classes. Also, let's remember... Fundamentally, if you think about the emerging markets, US dollar coming down, they wanna diversify away from the dollar itself. They're stepping in, they're buying gold. I'm continuing to play this breakout.
5: What do you think of gold? Do you like it? Yeah, we we were very bullish gold in our year ahead piece for 2023. We're overweight material sector in Canada. Uh, If you take a look at the CRB metals index, it hasn't done great, but gold sure has. And so I actually think it's a crypto trade. I think people are gonna sell their crypto and buy gold. Really? Okay.
4: Well, it's, well, not, it's not people. It's the emerging market. It's governments around the world yes. that are diversifying but away. But it's yeah. also
3: people. Away from crypto. Who are people.
4: Yeah. Institutions.
3: <laughs> but people separately getting rid of
4: crypto going to gold. When, when, when I hear people, I think retail. That's what I think, too. Thank All you. Right. I think All exactly. right. Still
2: ahead, we're getting ready to grade your trades. You can email us, halftime at CNBC.com. You can tweet us. Use the hashtag, grade my trade. We'll be right back. All right. Let's do grade my trade. Uh, Jimmy, you're up first because it's General Motors. Jason Ziegler wants to know, I have Ford and GM positions currently and with a five-year time horizon. With Ford quality issues hitting the media stories, should I add more Ford or GM at this time? These stocks were down a lot today. General Motors was down a bunch on Tesla cutting prices yet again. Yeah
1: frustrating stock. You know, every time it starts to go, it it pulls back. Let's see what the earnings are. But I believe in both companies right now, and in particular, I believe more in GM because of the things besides internal combustion engines they've going on. The Ultium platform is very important, what they're doing with bright drop vans, and then the cruise autonomous vehicle unit. There's a lot of things to like at GM.
2: If you didn't own this stock today, would you advise people to buy it here? I absolutely would. I absolutely would. Okay. Shan, you, uh, Riva D in Virginia, I'm a middle school student learning to invest in stocks earlier in the year. I bought Booz Allen Hamilton at $77 and Ross Stores at 71 Those picks did well during the downturn. Recently, I have swapped those stocks for growth stocks. Adobe at $305 and Estee Lauder at $228. Reva, thank you so much for the question. Shannon grade the trades. Uh,
0: I, I really like this trade. Actually, Estee Lauder was my final trade on the last show, uh, which definitely is going to benefit from Prestige Beauty uh, and the reopening in China. On the Adobe side, might be in the penalty box a little bit longer. They made a big acquisition this year. Uh, and I think that But from a longer term perspective, digital marketing is going to c- continue to be critical. So I give you an A minus on this trade.
2: OK, sounds like Riva's got some game, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, we appreciate the question once again. All right, Joe, you, Jeff in North Dakota bought shares of MSCI 270 for the IRA. I want to add to the position. Is that a good plan? Please don't have Mr. Weiss graded. I don't want an F. <laughs> very, very wise thought there, Jeff. We, we we, feel you.
4: No, I think Steve would give him an A plus on this, and he rightfully should, given the significant profit that Jeff had. But I don't want Jeff buying more MSCI. I think when you look at the three research funds, S&P Global, FactSet, and MSCI, MSCI is the most expensive of the three. I'd rather see you buy FactSet. Ticker symbol FDS. That's the cheapest. That's a small cap. That's the one I'd add to. Okay.
2: Keep the trades coming in. You can send us an email at askhalftime at cnbc.com You can tweet us, of course, and we'll have the committee continue to grade your trades. We'll do finals next. Four o'clock Eastern overtime. We're going to wrap this week up with Anastasia Amoroso, Lauren Goodwin, Bryn Talkington, and Kevin Simpson get his latest moves in this market as well all right we got a big desk let's do some final trades jimmy two shirts you go first well
1: uh second time in a row i'm going to pick delta uh look things are going well for the airline industry delta the leader uh it's got a good leadership uh committee there uh, run by mr Bastian. it's very cheap delta airlines
2: okay jimmy wants delta uh shan what do you got
0: American Tower uh, under a lot of pressure last year on uh, inflation, um, higher interest rates. If you look at over the course of the next couple of years, though, 5G expansion, spectrum rollout, um, and they have an international business that's going to continue to grow as well.
2: Okay, Jason,
3: I, I, I'm amazed. I didn't know averaging down you on Jason, final trades. It's
2: Friday the 13th today. I,
3: I didn't know averaging down on final trades was a thing until now. Um, my final trade is Rocket Labs. I haven't done all my work on it. But it was a SPAC. They've launched more satellites into, the, into space than any other company, uh, and it's proven. It's not like Virgin. So I think the chart, you know, it's starting to pick up, but I'm not really focused on chart. I just think the fundamentals are very, very strong. Okay. Joey? Great example of sometimes the stock market
4: and the economy don't correlate. Look at a chart of D.R. Horton continues to get downgraded. Housing recession but yet, DR Horton keeps going up. Some of these housing stocks have
2: actually done well when you thought they they probably wouldn't. That's Sometimes
4: like a the figure. stock market isn't the economy. All right, Belsky.
5: I have a sector, okay, communication services. Okay. The three Cs, cash, content, and consolidation. All right.
2: Talked a lot about growth and value. Someone would add a fourth, say crazy. Yeah. <laughs> no, gotta, I got to go. Have a good flight back. We'll see you soon. That's Brian Belsky. The exchange is now. I'll see you later. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
0: Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.